my friend says caffeine's a drug. I said, oh, tell your friend, fuck you. I want to be a buddy with Just a little breakfast. Welcome to Breakfast Punks, a podcast about weird shit and DIY punk. From Hastings, I'm Siobhan. And I'm Dave. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about the David Lynch series Twin Peaks and probably some other weird shit. Yeah, whatever comes up. I imagine. You may have noticed a couple of things (laughs) on the off start. Off start? Off start? Go for it. Go for it. it. On the off start. I'm Norfolk, that sounds right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You hopefully are noticing uh, an improvement in the quality. How clear our dulcet tones are. This podcast. And uh, we would just like to say a big thank you to our Patreons. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Who have been supporting us since the start of the year uh, because their financial support has allowed us to buy a part of this new setup of microphones. <laughs> a lot of it's on credit. <laughs> oh, we're still we're still in the credit hole, but it is what it is. Uh, but we do really appreciate that. And hopefully, like I say, you will see some sort of a difference. If you would like to uh, help us pay off that credit card bill <laughs> uh, in some way, you can still support us on Patreon. Uh, if you do, uh, we don't often say this now, I don't think. But no, if you, we're if, a bit rubbish at directing to it. We've but... got a wonderful advert that I always <laughs> shove in in the middle, which I haven't listened to myself for, no, about, for about I the last 10 episodes. It so it might be terrible. Um, I'm sure I will shove it into this one as well. Shove but um, uh, yeah, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash breakfast punks podcast. And if you give us three pounds or more per month, you get an extra episode of this podcast. Yeah. And um, we've done seven of them now. Yeah, there'll be seven. I think the eighth one is coming out. Is that right? Oh, maybe we've done eight now. Yeah. By the the time you're hearing this, there'll be eight. Yeah, that's true. I think. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, there's loads. Uh, There's hours of it. So uh, if you would like to hear us talk more, we just talk about general shit. How would you describe our Patreon? Uh, It's whatever comes out. And sometimes that's uh, (laughs) defending questionable people of the past or talking (laughs) about Britpop or talking about what my mum's bought on the internet. Um, <laughs> You've not really that doesn't really it. sell it at all, does it? I feel like we've had quite a lot of psychological debates on there. It does end up getting a bit deep sometimes. We um, definitely have. I mean, I think by default, whenever when we start talking about what your mum has bought on the internet, <laughs> we end up talking about some huge philosophy. Robert Anton Wilson soon yeah. comes up. <laughs> yeah, no, I think on the last, not the last one, but the one before that, we talked about things that particular songs bring up in us uh, yeah. and the emotional connections and we that don't know why. That was a nice one, actually. It was good, wasn't yeah. it? And that happens. So and then sometimes like... it's about other things, yeah. like Britpop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's similar in a lot of ways. Oh, what was the last one about? Whitfield Crane comes up quite a lot. Is that uh, Whitfield Crane flies more than just him himself. The singer of Ugly Kid Joe, for yeah. those who didn't know, and I did not. Slightly obscure. Again, we're not really selling it, but they are quite good Yeah, fun, they are I think. quite good. I think uh, they're good. <laughs> Anyway, you can sign up to our Patreon and you can listen to them for yourself and let us know whether they're any good and that would be much appreciated. Also, you may have noticed that we changed the uh, introduction. Yeah, we have a little bit, haven't we? Uh, We are getting rid of the trashy movie review section of this podcast. Just because we're quite bad at it. (laughs) I think that that we've slowly but sure, over the course of 41 episodes... Yeah. We've got worse and worse and worse at reviewing films. Yeah, it's a good excuse to watch some shitty films... 
But they're talking about it. I'm, I'm assuming the payoff isn't great. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, this happened. God, I really so, like this film. It's really great. Yeah, this yeah. film was crap. Why? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think we're not movie reviewers. Um, we might still do the odd movie review as and when on the Patreon. So please, if you want to, or or on here. Well, I think that we probably won't do be... any actual reviews, but I think trashy movies will still come into this podcast every now and again we'll throw them in i think we're now using the phrase weird shit to more or less just describe every single thing that we like yep and then we're also playing some music exactly so sometimes the main topic i mean in a way twin peaks isn't far off yeah it's not trashy and i think we've got some uh i don't think this is giving it away too much but some potential future topics will be along the lines of trauma we're definitely doing potentially body horror films so there's all and all these things are to come and it was a bit weird doing a movie review on the same show as doing those without reviewing a trauma film or reviewing a body horror film also without making this into a movie podcast which it clearly isn't clearly not we just just don't know enough (laughs) because we don't know anything about films (laughs) so yeah there'll still be trashy movies along the way because it yeah like you say it comes into weird shit but we're just not going to dedicate a bit to that anymore because again pretty bad at it and we may i mean the other thing about it is that it might keep this podcast from being two and a half fucking hours every time who knows this bit's already gone on quite long (laughs) who knows how long but yeah no i think it's true it might uh, it might make it a bit more of a manageable chunk of your time i think we're very grateful for so thank you oh absolutely but i mean the other thing is i mean i'm sure the listener at home probably notices this we do actually record this podcast and we made a joke when we were trying to work out how we should change that opening segment yeah we made a joke about starting it with like live from Hastings yeah and obviously this isn't live although I would question what live is oh if you are listening to this currently then is isn't is that not the only is, way it exists in your reality in your reality it's um, happening to you right now live <laughs> but you we, are alive <laughs> this is life let's not go there we do record this thing in one fell swoop yeah we sit down and we and I think by the time we get to the movie reviews sometimes after a good three and a half hours yeah. because there's a lot that gets cut out of this yeah. thing we're knackered yeah and we don't really have the energy to do it justice we really don't really do, do a good job do we so i think keeping so this short and sweet will hopefully improve the quality not just the sound quality has improved <laughs> ladies and gentlemen also <laughs> the chat mics. quality the chat quality should be better <laughs> yeah let's hope so i don't know what you think so far but thank you <laughs> <laughs> but the music will remain of an equal quality exactly and starting with a song from a band called Chain Whip and the song is called Laguna Bleach. They're a band from Vancouver in Canada and this song is from their album Two Step to Hell which was released last year in July and you can get it via Neon Taste Records in the US and Drunken Sailor Records in the UK. So this is Chain Whip with Laguna Bleach. Let's go, let's go, 
Breaking news is part of this job. You are fake news. News. This is what's happening in your world tonight. It's fucking news. A woman facing jail for pleasuring herself outside Waitrose had a hoard of sex toys in her handbag. <laughs> Good girl, what the fuck? <laughs> Beverly Dean, 54, exposed her breasts as she committed the solo act in front of a pair of workers who saw her through their office window. What? So in fairness, not really in front of them. They were peeping from the office. No, but she's... Is she doing it outside? Let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) The police arrived on the scene in Northwich, Cheshire. I've said that both wrong, haven't I? Cheshire. Cheshire. Who am I? Northwich. (laughs) No, it must be. Anyway, in Cheshire. (laughs) And they found a hoard of sex toys and lube in a handbag. She cried as she admitted outraging public decency at 3.30 p.m. on February the 25th this year. They (laughs) described the act in the court case. She had her mobile phone in her right hand and appeared to be filming herself or taking photos of herself performing the act. She stopped to smoke a cigarette and then continued to suck on her fingers and place them between her legs. After she did this, she stood up from the bench and both breasts were exposed. Her blouse was unbuttoned and her coat was hanging off her shoulders. Officers were called and the defendant was arrested. Oh dear. Her property was searched and an assortment of sex toys and lubricants were found in the defendant's bag. Oh. From the luscious masturbating benches of Cheshire, as you say, to Moscow. Okay. Chess robot grabs and breaks finger of seven-year-old opponent. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the Moscow incident occurred because the child violated safety rules by taking a turn too quickly. And what? So, as a result of that, the, the robot decided to punish the child basically, by breaking his finger. Basically. Sergei Lazarev, the president of the Moscow Chess federation said the robot broke the child's finger um adding that the machine had played many previous exhibitions without upset and then there's a quote this is of course bad which just reminds <laughs> me of that brass eye thing where the child where the child gets sent out with the pedophile and they're like this is of course the worst yeah, the this last is the thing last thing that, that we wanted to happen, wanted to happen. <laughs> it's so brilliant the robot pounced on the child after it took one of the boy's pieces. Rather than waiting for the machine to complete its move, the boy opted for a quick rip, t- rip, repose. I don't know. How repose. To say. I think that is a Chesh, Chesh, Cheshire. What the fuck is going on? It is a chess word. Oh, okay. I think is that what you g- come back at someone with? I, d- I guess so. I don't know. Um, Probably the people of Cheshire would know. So, <laughs> apart from Bev, she's too busy with her fingers up her minge. <laughs> Someone called Smaggin. I've, I've missed a bit where they introduced. <laughs> no, I've missed a bit where they introduced this man. It says there are certain safety rules, and the child apparently violated them when he made his move. He did not realise he had to wait. This is extremely rare, and the first time I can recall. Lazarev had a different account. Is that the child? Uh, that's the president of the Moscow Chess Federation. Oh, he's blaming Again, the child. Yeah, I think he's gonna. I think yeah. he's gonna um, saying the child made a move, and after that, we need to give time for the robot to answer. But the boy hurried, and so the robot grabbed him. What a prick. (laughs) (laughs) He's not the first person to be harmed by a robot. Uh, According to one 2015 study, one person is killed each year by an industrial robot in the US alone. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that's from mistakes. Stupidity, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, could you not say if somebody fell into a... uh, big bit of machinery that a robot has killed you know what i mean yeah like most machinery has ai in and i'm and stuff, i'm, I'm right? sure it's human error i think this has been written to be very uh catastrophic but i'm, I'm going with it and i quite like it 
Um, robots used in medical surgery were also held responsible for the deaths of 144 people between 2008 and 2013. Jesus. Um, more recently, a lady called Elaine Herzberg was killed by an Uber autonomous car that hit the 49-year-old at 40 miles an hour as she was crossing the road in Arizona. Is there autonomous cars driving around in Arizona? I, I mean, have I know no that idea. Was, that was like I on, the, that was on in, the cars. I thought that but... was in Westworld. So yeah. I didn't think it was in real life. Jesus. But usually it's human error or a lack of human understanding of robotic processes. So, the so be story careful, could be even written. if they're just playing chess. Literally, the story could be written in a completely different yeah. way. Is that a load of humans have been stupid enough to like <laughs> fall into machines and, yeah. you know... Piss a robot off. Yeah, when a robot's been coming towards them, rather than getting out of the way, they've laid down... Well, you what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he played chess the next day, so don't worry. And the robot also played chess the next day, so oh, don't good. worry. <laughs> good, I'm glad. <laughs> it's... Uh, its conscience was clear. <laughs> well, I'll tell you who AI robots will be able to very easily find if they want to smash its head in. <laughs> Houdini, the tortoise that has oh. been caught scaling a fence and is now forced to wear a bright yellow balloon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a balloon! A Houdini tortoise now has to wear a bright yellow balloon whenever he ventures outside after the cheeky pet repeatedly tried to perform impressive feats of escapology. Aww. Russian tortoise Elmo tried clambering over fence wire and burrowing into the garden, leaving only a Claudia Carter at her wit's end. I should say the, the tortoise is Russian, but I don't think Claudia Carter is. <laughs> Doesn't sound good. <laughs> but keen to keep her three-year-old safe, she now has come up with the solution and decided upon tying a balloon under Elmo's belly to make him easier to spot. Aww. There is a picture of this, which I would encourage anybody to Google. I'm sure it's quite easy. She's also drawn a happy face on the balloon. Aww. So it's more or less this tiny tortoise walking around the garden with a big yellow balloon hanging over Aww. it. So now he can't get away. Oh, bless him. I quite like it, though. Uh, thankfully, Claudia says there's no way she can lose him now as his yellow balloon is impossible to miss among green plants. She posted it on social media and the clip attracted more than 82,000 views, which no, is, you know, depressing about that's, humanity, that's but life. whatever. She's described him as, he's like Houdini trying to escape. We've lost him for hours in the past. We've been searching, cutting down hedges and digging. That is definitely Claudia's <laughs> accent. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of taking the piss out of this poor little tortoise in Aww. a lot of ways. I mean, they've clearly made a bit of a mountain out of a molehill. She does say, it makes us laugh because of how cute it is. Oh, bless. So fuck you, Claudia. Fuck you, Claudia. Leave you like tortoise alone. Let, Let him fucking climb where he wants. Let Harry go where he wants to go. Or Houdini, <laughs> whatever his name is. This one, I fear there's probably not much to it other than the title, but it is brilliant. See Mudvayne's Chad Gray fall off stage while singing Not Falling. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. There's a video where basically he's performing in Tampa and he takes a stumble off the stage um, and there's a video of it that's going round. But yeah, he's, he is in the middle of singing the song Not Falling. When the fuck uh, did Mudvayne start playing songs live again? I have no idea. <laughs> this, was, this was from a performance this year. It was in July this year in Mudvayne are the ones who painted their faces weird. Yeah, they like painted their face and, stuff, and right? they, I think they were topless still and lots of face paint and lots of like colourful, almost like Misfits style hair, I think. Almost I think like a heavy metal version of the Blue Man group. A little bit like that. <laughs> I wonder, did they come before things like the Murder Dolls and all that stuff? It must be the same time. Yeah, it might be. Similar time. I think they had like, you know, that kind of like shaved most of the hair and long bit on the top that had lots of colourful plaits in it. Yeah. That sort of thing. But yeah, I get them all confused. But yeah, 
fell off singing not falling there's a video um i don't know how we'll show anyone the video but it is wonderful <laughs> so yeah that's that's it really there's nothing much more to it just thought it was a, a beautiful version of irony right there oh, i think it's really sad that my vein is still in existence well i think it's this horrible resurgence of all the shit music from that time is it not someone yeah. probably thinks mad vein are really good again and there's probably a young hipster band d- doing the same thing oh god can you imagine being influenced by mud Va- imagine that <laughs> Imagine just Mudve- Mudvayne, Murder Dolls, and Static X as your influences. <laughs> it's going to be a bad you shit. You might as well show. just say influences. Load of pedos. Yeah, all the pedos, please. <laughs> Terrible. Sorry. Also, uh, while we're speaking of pedos, I did see um, a T-shirt get shared around recently that <laughs> it was Minor Threat, and it was a picture. It was that picture of Ian Mc- of Minor Threat on the on the uh, porch of his of his house. Oh yeah. yeah. But instead of Minor Threat's faces, it was like one had the face of Ian Watkins from Lost Profits, one had the face of Jimmy Savile. <laughs> and it's so bad. But I must say I did a little giggle. It was really bad. Minor Threat. Oh it would be gosh. really unfortunate if, without thinking, you were a Minor Threat's covers band and you thought, Threat to Minors, that's the one, isn't it? Oh, oh. <laughs> so bad so 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 bad but yeah anyway sorry I thought I'd just bring that up uh, because it's come up which is weird didn't think that would come up (laughs) (laughs) well talking about headlines that don't really go anywhere yeah man pushes peanut up Colorado mountain using his nose (laughs) (laughs) why why is uh, there is no answer to that question whatsoever Um, a 53 year old Colorado man didn't crack under pressure as he pushed a peanut to the top of the 14,115 foot summit this week using his nose it took him seven days Uh, he mostly pushed it at night because I suppose it was hot during the day well an embarrassment I guess Uh, he didn't it wasn't just one peanut because he destroyed them on the way. He went through <laughs> roughly two dozen peanuts. Oh, well, get, no, that can't be true. <laughs> so he hasn't pushed a peanut up a mountain. It's just man walks up mountain with a peanut attached to his nose on the floor. Yeah. I mean, it's not as grabbing. as. Uh, uh. Yeah, well, it did make for a better headline in the Huffington Post. Yeah, and, right. <laughs> and I'm sure it got him shared a lot of times on TikTok or mm. whatever fucking place he was desperately trying to Indeedly. impress. Uh, his nose had the aid of a homemade contraption, uh-huh. a CPAP sleep machine with a duct tape spoon on it. But, okay, well, that's bad. So that machine, that's a, C- a CPAP machine, is for when people have sleep apnea. Yeah. So he needs... He needs extra oxygen to breathe because he doesn't breathe properly at night. That's what that machine does. Well, maybe does. that's why he's not sleeping and but pushing a peanut yeah, up a mountain. Yeah, like, what the fuck? <laughs> this man's got issues that he probably needs to address rather than pushing peanuts up a mountain with his face <laughs> in, the, in the night when he should be sleeping with this this machine sorting his breathing out for him. Yeah. I'm enc- a bit worried. Encouraging unhelpful insomnia in order for likes and lols likes and lols <laughs> instead of sleeps he did this absurd act because he was celebrating the city of manitoba springs 150th oh God, birthday was he fuck was he fuck uh he's apparently the first person in the 21st century to complete the push i presume that because prior no to the 21st <laughs> century no one i think they just went up the mountain i yeah. don't think they pushed a peanut up the mountain with their face but maybe i'm wrong i mean this man was not in any way celebrating the 150th birthday no. of his town. Uh, he was strictly trying to get himself attention, as much yeah, attention as he possibly could, hopping, and which I'm we are now giving, giving him. <laughs> Shall we oh, move our attention oh, elsewhere? No. Yeah. Let's go to Norfolk. 
Well, once again, the Norfolk news is focusing on the things that really matter. Imagine how clear your Norfolk accent is going to come through on these lovely new microphones. That's going to be... I can't wait to listen back. That's going to be a fucking lush glory, (laughs) I reckon. Well, it's funny that we were talking about people who, you know, don't really want attention, but they obviously do. (laughs) Um, Woman, and also, (laughs) this this is the epitome of that... And Norfolk's fine reporting. <laughs> Woman matches Norfolk flag with outfit, despite not knowing there was one. <laughs> I, I, I did not know that there was one. <laughs> I didn't either. What but, the fuck is the Norfolk flag? And, of all days, on Norfolk Day. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. Pauline Woods of Besthorpe dressed up like the Norfolk flag for Norfolk Day. Sorry, is Besthorpe the best Thorpe? <laughs> Of interest. No. Give me a better thought. Thought St. Andrew. I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> Where the ghost hunters are. Indeed, at the cottage. Um, Pauline Woods of Besthorpe dressed up like the Norfolk flag for Norfolk Day, despite not knowing that either existed. <laughs> for fuck's sake. Oh, gosh. And I'm just going to read as much of this as I can be bothered because it's beautiful. <laughs> There's a little known folklore that predicts a doppelganger for everyone. Again. Oh, my God. That's th- extreme twin, synchronicity. Twin pig synchronicity right there for all you who know Jesus about that. Jesus Christ. And while that might be true, it was actually an eye-catching outfit that became a surprise Norfolk Day match. Pauline Woods of Besthorpe created a hive of activity on July 27th when she walked through Wyndham's Marketplace. The town was celebrating a bee-themed Norfolk Day when eagle-eyed residents noticed Mrs Woods in her yellow, white and black ensemble. I mean, that's not that... Like, somebody wearing yellow, white and black is hardly... That shock. There must have been loads of people. It's not that shocking, but this woman, it is a little close to the flag and all the colours of the all the colours of what the town was dressed like that day. Right. And she's like, oh, what? I didn't even know it was Norfolk so Day. She's, she's, Take a photo of me next to this car. Uh, and there's just what? tons of pic- there's pictures of her. Is it like her. a sexy picture of her no, laying no, on no. a Lamborghini? It's just, it's just her, <laughs> it's her next to a, a yellow car, I don't know. But all of the town's covered in yellow, black and white. Okay, but... And she's uh, but, strolled out in this yellow, black and white outfit going, oh, I, d- I didn't know what day it was. Um, but yes, if you want to take photos of me and put them in the newspaper, you're more than welcome. But just to double check, the outfit isn't like she wore a yellow dress and had like a black belt and a white uh, it's bow in her hair or something. N- not quite it's it's a yellow dress white linen trousers underneath and a black and white big scarf that she's wearing do people still it's- wear uh dresses over trousers in Norfolk <laughs> maybe that's they definitely, do that's like a, what's that like early early noughties yeah but I think it's also a she, woman I women bet, of a certain age I bet like her mate's it. got pedal pushers on probably probably <laughs> but what's what's the like lovely bit of journalistic flair oh, here no there's another picture of her sat on a bench and it says Pauline Woods not dressed like a flag because <laughs> 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 she's in her normal clothes because <laughs> she's in her normal clothes <laughs> Despite being born and bred in Norfolk, with roots on her mother's side, traced back to the famous Worsted Weavers. Oh my god. <laughs> fucking knows what that is. <laughs> she had no idea it was Norfolk Day, or even that there was a county flag. Following the serendipitous experience of being a human representation of the Norfolk flag. <laughs> I love this article. She said, I was surprised, but I was also pleased to help in the promotion of Norfolk Day. With good spirit, she readily inv- readily accepted the invitation to have her photo taken 
and is planning on wearing the outfit again for next year's special day. Is she now like a local celebrity in Norfolk? Is she going to be given the town uh, the, uh, the, ta- the, key the key to the, the city? The city? <laughs> Who knows? But I just love that she's like, oh, I, d- I didn't know that this outfit that looks exactly like that flag is is entering the day with today. Didn't even know we had a flag. Am I in Norfolk? I've never even been. Is this Wyndham? I didn't fucking know where I was. Oh, go on then. Take a photo of me. Put me in the newspaper. Here's another photo of me not wearing that outfit, just so you know that I didn't plan it. I don't know. This, and this by the is way, so this much. is the best Thorpe. <laughs> I just, but there's just so much I love about it. About Pauline, it. not in, not dressed like a flag. <laughs> and I've learned that there's a Norfolk flag and a Norfolk day, <laughs> which I didn't know. And I am from Norfolk. And why is no one taking a photo of me dressed in yellow? Anywho, well, I tell you who probably hasn't celebrated Norfolk Day. Who? Uh, the band Electric Chair. Fair enough. In fact, I don't actually know where they're from. No, no me neither. <laughs> uh, I presume, unless they're from Norfolk, that would be a very strange. They're definitely not. No. This is a song called Live With It from their album Acts of Aggression, which was released in June this year via Iron Lung Records. So this is Electric Chair with Live With It. Welcome back to Breakfast Punk's podcast. We're now going to move on to our main topic of this episode, which is the David Lynch series Twin Peaks. Well, in fairness, it's not just David Lynch. It's David Lynch and Mark Frost Mm -hmm. series Twin Peaks. Uh, The first two series were shown in the late 80s and very early 90s, and then it came back 25 years later, exactly, because it said it was going to. It did say it would. uh, In 2017 and made a third season. We're going to do this in a way that I think we might use this format for a few episodes going forward. Uh, because we've wanted to cover a handful of kind of TV series, mm. and obviously, particularly good ones, there ends up being so much to talk about. There's so much. Uh, if you go into it in depth. I mean, people have literally made whole podcasts, which are probably ongoing, about just Twin Peaks. Yeah. So obviously, we're not going to be able to cover all of that. So what we're going to do is we're just going to pick our top ten Things, yeah, favorite. Yeah, these things can be very loose. It could be an episode. It could be a character. It could be a specific thing that somebody does. It could be a theme. It could just end. The weirder, the better. This is the podcast that is now exclusively about weird shit. And we're kicking off with (laughs) the weirdest thing that has ever graced TV. Yeah, I think it probably is the weirdest (laughs) thing that's ever graced TV. It's not necessarily the weirdest thing that's ever been made, but yeah, it's it's definitely mad that this was on network TV. The original series was incredibly popular. Yeah, was one of the biggest, one of the first sort of TV shows that was episodic and 
what I think is now described as like water cooler yeah, shows where everyone, you know, the, the night after it was shown, everyone would get together and talk about it. Mm. Um, and it was fucking amazing. Yeah. Uh, David Lynch is fucking amazing. Uh, if you haven't watched all of his films, then just go and do that. I mean, that's extremely important that you should, something that every, <laughs> everybody should do immediately. 100%. Um, He's so a joy to the world. He is very much. And this is, this is, I think, him in his pure joy Pure joy mode. And I think it's the easiest thing he's done. Uh, it is not easy. <laughs> and yeah, well, well, we'll get into that, I suppose. But uh, definitely the first season and a half yeah. is the most standard narrative yeah. thing that David Lynch has probably ever done. Apart from he did the straight story, which is a completely normal film that didn't have any weirdness in it, really. Yeah. Um, but it's a good introduction to David Lynch. I, this is the first David Lynch thing that I ever watched. Mm-hmm. And I remember you saying, like, when you found out I hadn't seen Twin Peaks, you were like, oh, my God, you have to watch it and then watch all of David Lynch's stuff. Um, what I've just told the listener for yeah much. of course you must and immediately I did, <laughs> but no but I did and uh, no regrets best my favorite thing I've ever seen in my life ever yeah uh, which is why again we've narrowed this down to 10 but I mean all of you avid Twin Peak fans you're obviously going to have issues with what we miss out and what we do include and what we don't but that's why there's too many good things to talk about so we really have tried to narrow it down totally and in doing this top 10 we're hoping that we can get across enough of the basic themes and narrative that if you've not seen Twin Peaks, yeah. you can get something out of this. But equally, if you're a massive Twin Peaks fan, hopefully you will appreciate the the, the thought, the random things that we yeah. are, that we are picking out as our favourite. And I'm going to try and stick with this being spoiler free for those who haven't seen it, because it's so easy to discuss things that just ruin and explain so much. Well, nothing explains anything, unfortunately. It's very uh, hard to understand, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think you can spoil it. (laughs) But there's certain things that we'll try and avoid talking about so that, yeah, if you've not seen it before, hopefully this encourages you to go watch it because you should 100% go watch it. In fact, stop listening to this now. Go watch all of Twin Peaks. We just managed it in three weeks uh, and it was fine. So go watch (laughs) all of Twin Peaks. For the record, please don't stop listening. (laughs) (laughs) Don't listen to (laughs) Shawar. This is our podcast, but don't let listen. Us, let us wet your whistle first, yeah. and then go wet and watch your whistle. It. So we're going to take it. it in turns. We've more or less picked five each. Yeah, I think and so. uh, I believe Siobhan is going to go first. Yeah, well, I thought I would start with the pilot episode of Twin Peaks because it is just a beautiful roundup of everything that is to come, and it just on rewatching it, I can't believe how much you see in this pilot episode. It is a double length episode, I think. So I think it's uh, in the region of, I think they're 45 minute episodes it's a usually. Film, so it's, it's a film length. Yeah, it? it's, it's an, like hour an hour and a half, half isn't yeah. it? So many of the iconic things we think about with Twin Peaks turns up in this. I wrote down every, the list of characters that turn up and you were introduced to every character pretty much really quickly. Which the, we cannot do for you. Well, gosh, no, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> um, you see beautiful scenery immediately. The first scene is where you see Jack Nance's character finding a dead wrapped up body on the shore of the lake that the, his house is on. And just this scene is just full of beautiful music, beautiful scenery. The atmosphere is just so one of... It, you can't really describe it because you don't know that it's grief yet. You don't know that it's emotional, but you immediately feel this overwhelming sense of all of that. Um, but with these crazy little characters, Jack Nance is so wonderful in it. You see Laura Palmer straight away, which the whole point of the series uh, is this girl called Laura Palmer turns up dead who killed her that's the very basic premise of the story and you get that from the very first scene 
I think it mixes all of the great things about Twin Peaks immediately, yeah. which is quite amazing. It's both beautiful yeah. and dark. And, and funny. And for, yeah, and funny. And, yeah. and for anybody... Uh, funny. Uh, the funny side of Twin Peaks is probably the main version of this in David Lynch's career, but there's always an element of humour in his films. But definitely, mm. if, if you've not ever seen a David Lynch film... That is kind of what they do. They mix beauty and the darkest side of human nature. Yeah. And I feel like Twin Peaks, almost more so than any of his other films, although he's got so many iconic versions of this, where yeah. he does this incredibly well, it just, like you say, you see this, this, these beautiful shots of this beautiful place. Yeah. The music is lovely. It sets this incredibly nice tone that's really yeah. relaxing. It's almost difficult to explain how it makes you feel. Yeah. And then there's, a, yeah, sort of a bit of humour, a yeah. bit of weirdness, but not too much weirdness. And then there's just, here's a young girl's dead body. Yeah. And it's it's a fairly simple idea. Yeah. But it's so effective. And he does this, it, it, it's a constant throughout this episode. It's a constant throughout this the seasons, of course, but this episode is just so amplified because you see different scenes that indicate when people are finding out about this news and how it affects everyone. And it's a story of emotion and a story of how people are reacting to weird stuff going on. But not even that... I mean, it is weird, but this is the least weird thing that happens in the entire season, I <laughs> yes, would say. Yes, someone getting murdered is the least weird yeah, thing. Yeah, it doesn't really... <laughs> it gets way weirder than that. <laughs> but there's some amazing scenes that are just so typical. There's a scene where there's a girl running in slow motion through the quad of the school, mm-hmm. and everyone immediately knows something's happened. The scene where... Laura's father and mother find out what's happened and not a word is uttered. It's just a police officer asking to speak to the father whilst the father is on the phone to the mother and the mother lets out, who's played by uh, Grace Zabriskie, I want to say her name is, who is fantastic and she lets out the first of her blood-curdling screams that is just so emotional. And you know in that moment, you're just like, oh my God, this girl meant so much to so many people but you don't know why yet. And it's just, it really sets up this kind of interconnectedness of this place that, uh, I don't know, interconnectedness goes on really a journey throughout Mm. the entire season, but you get it really set up here. And there's a few other things that kind of show that like humour emotion balance that is beautiful. Dale Cooper, played by Carl McLaughlin, who if you aren't aware of, is just the best TV character that's ever existed in the world. Um, (laughs) It's not opinion, it's fact, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) His entry into... The season in this episode is beautiful. There's this beautiful scene that is very well known, I think, amongst even people who have maybe not even seen Twin Peaks, where it's him speaking into a dictaphone entering the town of Twin Peaks and is taken by the beauty of the place. And his first meeting with the town sheriff is in the corridor of the morgue. And he's like, oh, my God, what is the smell that you get when you get into town? Oh, it's mm. Douglas Firs. Oh, they're beautiful. And I went and had this pie at this lamplighter inn and it was amazing. Everything is so wonderful. I need the coroner's report of the dead, yeah. girl, the dead girl on the <laughs> yeah. morgue. And it just cuts to straight like this is where it's going to go. And just a final note um, that kind of happens in this morgue scene. When they go in to see the dead body, the lights are flickering and they're like, oh, sorry, the lights haven't been working. And it's just this kind of like little hint that like, eh, nothing really works here. It's all a bit weird. Something weird's always in every scene. What I quite like about this, side note, is the lights genuinely weren't working that day uh, and were flickering in this really weird morgue way. Morgue way? Uh, 
<laughs> I'm going to say morgue. Light, I know what I mean. Lights in morgues don't fl- flicker <laughs> in this <normally>. really creepy, <laughs> disturbing way. Yeah. And David Lynch was like, "That's amazing," and said to the lighting editor, "Can you make that happen all the time?" Yeah. And lights flickering and electricity is a constant theme in uh, Twin Peaks well, from then on. Also, it looks a little wonderful. bit like a strobe light, and yeah. and, a stro- and strobe. And I feel like this is something that David Lynch does gen- generally in his film. He kind mm. of goes with his emotions, I suppose, yeah. if you like. So if something pops up. And he thinks, right, that's good. Yeah. He just puts that in. That happens now. And this happens in all of his films, but this happens probably more than any other time in his career. I think this happens mostly in Twin Peaks. So as a result of that just random thing happening, therefore strobe lights play this really big part way later on yeah. you know in the in the series indeed but yeah so i really like that a it's it's a bit of him changing his directorial style or his influence throughout the film but also this idea of humor where there is death and and just really sad things happening there's still always this little element of fun and humor which is really dark and really weird but it sums up twin peaks a lot that absolutely moves on to number two fantastic so one of my favorite things is almost exactly that to be honest, so we don't have to we don't have to stick on this for very long. Okay, it's right. the way that Twin Peaks deals generally. This is throughout more the first two series, mm-hmm. much less so in the third series. The way Twin Peaks deals with death and grief, mm-hmm. and it it's almost exactly what we were just saying. It it deals with it in a quite a comedic way often, but it mixes it with these really harsh elements. And there's definitely like black comedy elements to a lot of the way that death is dealt with throughout the seasons. Mm. And there's a, there's a lot of various deaths in the seasons. And, and the things that uh, make me think of mostly, and obviously the whole show is based around somebody dying. Yeah. I mean, it gets much more complex than that, but that's the main idea of the show. And the thing that jumps to mind mostly is Laura Palmer, who's the girl that dies in the first episode. When they go to her funeral, keeping in mind that by this time you've been given this picture of there's this darkness there's something about this girl's life which wasn't going quite on track and her parents are distraught and uh, the town is distraught and everyone's really unhappy and they're questioning who did it and everybody's sort of falling apart in this town they then hold this funeral which is just fucking batshit crazy (laughs) in which which it just turns into all of a sudden it goes from this really like harsh emotional scene into just this complete slapstick comedy where her dad ends up diving on the coffin and it's going (laughs) up and down because because the because the uh, mechanism breaks so there's just this man screaming on this coffin and it's got and you just hear someone in the background going oh something's broken something's broken we can't fix it and it's just going up and down and up and And down he's just screaming and wailing on top of his dead daughter's coffin it's fucked up in a lot of ways i mean like i say this happens with more than one person but i think with with laura palmer's dad this happens an awful lot like there's there's other bits about his grief that again are just he's completely fallen apart yeah and uh he's more or less lost his mind yeah and he's he's jumping around in his emotions he's sometimes you know and the mum is also jumping around in her emotions and there's this really harsh element to what's going on in his life Mm. and then he tries to go back to work and when he tries to go back to work, for some reason, he just decides that he needs to dance. Oh, sudden. my God, of course. And so then again, there's this scene where you've just sort of been feeling really sorry for this man. And it's and it's this really horrible situation. Yeah. And then suddenly it just breaks and he's dancing again. But he's still crying, isn't he? He's, he's crying, crying. And, he's, and he's really like emotional and grieving and, and, and just obviously distraught. Yeah. But, but something's in, taken over him and he has to dance. But in order to cover it up. <laughs> To make him look normal, if yeah. you like, 
everybody else starts doing the same dances as him. him. So he's like crying and everyone's doing a really dramatic version of crying yes, around him. He's doing him this thing stuff. where he's holding his head in his hands and so then they all start doing this dance where they keep like just like have their hands by their head dancing with him yeah. as if it's a dance move where it's him just literally falling apart. It's wonderful. It is wonderful. Uh, and and uh, there's one other that really made me laugh, which is there's this random bit where the mayor, who's this really elderly man, and his brother, they don't get on with each other. And at the funeral, they start arguing, and it's another sort of comedic thing that happens at the funeral. But eventually, this isn't really a spoiler, eventually the brother who marries this really young girl gets killed whilst having sex with her. Yeah. And again, it's dealt with in this ridiculously comedic <laughs> way. It's just a joke. It's a joke that someone's died, basically. There's no, there's nothing serious about this whatsoever. No. And in the context of a programme, which is all about death and grief and all of these things, which is, and it's really heavy. Yeah. It's really heavy. Like, just having this random thing where it's like, oh, someone's died. Ha 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 ha. There's something, and there's something really nice about it, I think, on a, philosophical level and I, and I do believe this that this is kind of David Lynch's outlook it's almost like the Vonnegut thing of so it goes it's yeah. like people die yeah and so when it's represented in this uh, program I just think it's represented in this really nice way where it's like well the world does continue there's this, this really horrible thing happened and obviously like people's yeah. grief needs to be dealt with and stuff but actually death is just a natural part of life yeah and I think that this is just a really interesting way of getting that point across I think yeah, no, I think you I think you are right. So my next point, and I think it's a really obvious one for Twin Peaks, if you've seen it or if you know anything about it, is the music. And it really, uh, it plays into what we've talked about already about emotion and grief and uh, the really heavy feeling in Twin Peaks because the music is a massive part of building that atmosphere. Mm. Um, the main music is written by Angelo Ballad, I want to say, Bold, Balicelli. Balicelli. I think. Probably said that wrong. Bold, me- I don't know how you say it. Bold Lamenki or something. <laughs> <laughs> we are really letting you down, Angelo, but we're going to go with it. And his writing style a is amazing the way that he did it the way that they did the main music for because there's different themes for characters and so they've called it like laura's theme or something because it's the music that plays when they discover the body and what it's going to be like and what happened was it was angelo at the piano and david lynch behind him going right it's going to open to trees and it's moody Mm. so he does the first few chords which are if you've ever heard them is just Twin Peaks. The second you hear it, you know it's Twin Peaks and something gloomy or bad is about to happen. And he goes, yeah, and then it's going to go from these trees and whistling in the trees to then the image of this girl. And so the music changes from this minor key to a major key and it's all these beautiful melodies. He wrote it in 20 minutes Mm. and it's the most iconic bit of music I think I've ever heard. There's a really interesting 33 and a third book about the... Twin Peaks soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Which is basically uh, 33 and a third books being those little books that each one is about a different album. Yeah. And the one about the Twin Peaks soundtrack is really interesting, more or less just because of what you're saying, just about the way it was created. Yeah. I mean, the way it's created is amazing. It's all emotion driven and pictorial and visual and just like, this is, I want the feeling. When you see these things, the music has to match the feeling. And the, the music ends up creating that feeling. There's certain pieces and passages of music that come on and you, you kind of already know what you're expected to feel when the things come on and sometimes it matches what you're expecting and sometimes it is really dissonant and that's kind of what we were talking about already that humour and grief thing Um, I I think they all I I think the word is coda 
Coda. I think that's with a K. And I think okay. that there's something that's really interesting, which I question why, and I might be wrong, and maybe everybody does this and I just don't normally notice it, but I don't know why more TV shows don't do this. That idea of like little themes, and it's not only in the music, they also do visual things as well, yeah. that just repeat throughout. And like you say, it's yeah. like, we're going to use this piece of music every time something really emotional yeah. is happening and so this it's almost like Pavlov's dog it's yeah. like when it starts it makes you feel a certain way you do. and because because it's over a long period of time you obviously hear these pieces of music a lot yeah there's visual coders as well so there's traffic lights that are mm. going red and green and they 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 almost don't necessarily need to have a meaning I mean I'd say the yeah. same about the music the music doesn't necessarily have a meaning but it's used in this way that's like Sometimes if a certain notice. character is about to enter the room, this certain type of music yeah. starts playing. And so you know they're coming. And like you say, if, if you're supposed to feel a certain emotion, but they fuck around with you yeah. there. So they'll put this really emotional music over something which is silly. Yeah. And it's so effective. It's so effective. And I don't, like I say, I don't know why more films and more TV shows well, don't do this. Why, why they don't, because I, because it just, to me, I feel like... Twin Peaks was this massive thing. Why didn't loads of directors think to themselves, God, that's a good idea. But do you know what? I think that other people do do it. It's just no one has ever done it as well. Yeah, you're probably right. Like, I think this is, it's just so, and it's so deliberately over the top because those, it's specifically the main Twin Peaks music, not the intro music, but the the bit that um, has all of the chord changes and is really emotion driven. It's so over the top emotional it's like melodramatic it's it's completely it goes from these really gloomy dark chords to this over the top overwhelming beautifulness and it always happens when there's over the top crying and over the top emotion being shown but that's so useful and it's so the point of the show and i just don't think you ever see it done as well or as over the top in anything else yeah you probably um but i think other people do do it um, there's other things to the music. I mean, there's other passages. There's a bit called Audrey's Dance, which comes up a few times. And there's a main character called Audrey Horn. We can't go into it, but she's probably the best thing other than Dale Cooper. We might be going into it a bit later. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but she is absolutely fantastic. She's like the femme fatale ingenue character, but she's a teenager and she's very cool. And she has this music that comes on that she dances to in Double R Diner at one point, which is just... And it's just cheeky like the music is cheeky and you just all the teenagers are interesting and have different qualities that make them dangerous or not quite what they seem but audrey still stands out as somehow more than that Mm. and this extra music really helps uh it's if you know it you know it if you don't it's such a beautiful thing when it happens one last thing about the music is season one, season two kind of just only has the specifically written for music, including, by the way, Julie Cruz's singing, mm. which she sings the main title song, uh, Falling, I think it's called. And she and that's just beautiful all of its own. Um, but it's in- a very specific style of music as well, isn't it? A lot of it sounds a lot like the sort of music that 4AD, the record label 4AD, but oh, okay. like the Cocteau Twins. And yeah. Like that. And that's definitely something that, David Lynch uses he makes music himself as well yeah. so not all of it some of it sounds like fucking madness but he makes a lot but, for the for Twin Peaks yeah as well. of course yeah and I, and I think that uh, that falling song I've got a feeling that maybe the Cocteau Twins were even supposed to sing it or something I think they might have been involved but maybe. yeah it definitely but it is very atmospheric and, and Angelo Bella blah 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 yeah. wrote that one yeah yeah for yeah. them but yeah no sorry it is really atmospheric and it is very uh, like that and I think that then uh, David Lynch isn't 
he does he doesn't do that without purpose he knows that that's happening mm. and in season three it's exemplified by the end of well the end of most episodes they go back to the roadhouse which is the bar um that something's happening in twin peaks and there's always a band playing at the end yeah so in season three all of a sudden you have these cameos from these extraordinary bands well, um, that are always a- playing these like really interesting songs Usually yeah. at the end, sometimes in the middle of the episodes. It was. I remembered it being so. When we rewatched it this time, I was quite surprised. I, I remembered it being literally the end of every episode. Yeah. There is a band at the Roadhouse, and often because most of the third season of Twin Peaks isn't even set in Twin Peaks. Yeah. And the Roadhouse is the bar that they go to a lot in the first two seasons. Yeah. It's almost the only time you ever see it. Yeah. But it's not quite like that. It's a bit more. It's a bit more random. They yeah. put the songs in here and there. But yeah, you've got. Uh, I mean, Nine Inch Nails. Oh, the one. Nine Inch Nails one. I mean, they they don't introduce most of the bands either. That's no, the thing. it's the weird. ones they at the end. They start doing that don't. towards the end. Yeah, but then that. in the episode that Nine Inch Nails turn up in, which is by far and away a fucking incredible episode, we're not going to talk about it. But bloody hell, yeah. They introduce. It, they're just like, and now, ladies and gentlemen, Nine Inch Nails, and you're like. What? I remember when we first watched it, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then it's like a fucking outstanding Nine Inch Nails song. Quite a lot of the songs that the bands play in season three were also written specifically for yeah, Twin Peaks. Some of them are true. taken from albums of the past, but, but there's so many good cameos. But the, well, there's, I mean, there's, so just to give you an idea, the, the, some of the bands that are on there, there's the Chromatics are the mm-hmm. first one. They're fucking amazing. So good. Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam oh, is one of the songs. He little turns up. Um, like, oh. Sharon Von Etten does mm. one. But then there's loads of bands on there. Lo- I mean, almost all the other ones are bands that I did not know beforehand. And no. to be honest, most of them play music that I wouldn't necessarily listen to yeah. on, the, on the regular. But the compilation album that's made up of more or less just these songs is fucking brilliant. So good. There's I can't even remember the band, the band's name, but there's one that that's just two boys. They're young boys. They sound exactly like the Everly Brothers. Oh my god, they sing that Mississippi so random, song. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Um, and then there is one other amazing bit which is not a live band but is presented in a similar way in which they just play Easy Top, <gasps> Sharp Dress Man, <laughs> and it's so good. And then uh, what I love about it, and I forgot, is the compare just has a like. A cardboard cutout of a dial that is like a volume dial, and he pushes it up to ten, yeah. and then the music gets louder. <laughs> and it's just because I guess they really like the song "Sharp Dress Man" well, by ZZ Top. I, why so would you not? Who it. doesn't? One last use of music is at some point they play "Green Onions," mm. and it's a man sweeping the floor for the entire length of "Green Onions," <laughs> yeah. and you're like. What's going to happen? (laughs) Nothing. David Lynch is teasing you and tricking you once again. They do this a lot in the third season, which (laughs) uh, maybe we'll get to this because we'll we'll do some of the stuff from the third season a little bit later. But they do a lot of stuff where he's just playing with you. He's just there's there's one long bit where people are just continuously referring to different names. Yeah, and it sounds like it should be something that you should know. Yeah, but none of the names are people that pop up in any of the other episodes (laughs) whatsoever. So it's just like, oh, you've heard about Keith, and 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 it's people you've never met before. Yeah, people. never met just talking about people people? you don't know for ages and it's like and don't get me wrong that doesn't sound great i mean i don't think that's selling twin peaks but in the context of the series it's like oh that's quite cool actually it's quite fun especially when you're like i need to to pay attention i need to pay attention i'm going to work everything out and then there's just this like curveball of a whole scene that makes no sense uh number four is characters that totally change their superficial characteristics there is a theme that goes throughout all of the series, pretty much. But again, it's probably more so in the first couple of seasons. Mm. Where pe- the characters, although they're nuanced and interesting, a lot of the characters are really like standard, fundamentally. So for example, and a really good example of that is Laura Palmer, the girl that gets killed, is like a really standard 
the favourite person at school, the cheerleader, homecoming queen. She looks very in that specific way. But the whole point of her character is that whilst that's what everybody saw, she had this really dark underbelly where yeah. she was doing all of this other stuff that you wouldn't expect. And I feel like throughout the series that they do this with other characters where... So, for example, the Albert... He's my who's, favorite. Who's, who's an FBI agent who is like the coroner who they bring in. And to begin with, he's really horrible to everybody. He's really hard nosed in a sort of comedic way, but also like he's really funny. Being really horrible to all your favorite characters. Yeah. And then as the season progresses, and I think this is somewhere in season two, he just suddenly becomes um a pacifist yeah and starts being really nice to everybody yeah well he grabs so he's really horrible to the sheriff like throughout that's the main like person that he falls out with and yeah. gordon cole his um boss always opens the door by being like apologies for albert yeah in ad- apologies in advance for albert yeah. and then all of a sudden he does that big like pacifist like um he makes a know, really amazing speech he does a big speech yeah, with the yeah. emo and the emotional music's on so you yeah, know and yeah. up until this point he's only been full of horrible hatred and, and dark humor the beautiful music comes on and then he's like i love you sheriff truman yeah. and you're just like what the fuck is going on but, and it's beautiful but there and this happens with a bunch of different people i mean in sort of smaller ways ben horn who is sort of like the corporate psychopath who we'll talk about a little bit later oh yeah he goes mad at one point and yeah. he's been horrible throughout this entire series and then he goes mad and then suddenly he's like really he's cha- he changes completely yeah. and all he wants to do is help people and there's uh, another bit with uh, Laura Palmer's glasses sunglasses yeah. whenever people put the sunglasses on they turn into this sort of femme fatale kind of character yeah. and i just think it's a wonderful way of looking at the human condition in which we are all not one thing yeah you know, in a really over the top but really effective way. I mean, one of the lovely, one of the amazing things about Ben Horn's change is one of the ways they signify that he's changed is he always has a cigar in his mouth, always. Yeah. Yeah. And when he becomes nice, he becomes this eco warrior all yeah. of a sudden, which you always wonder if it's for a hidden game. Yeah. Um, well, no, you think it is for a hidden game, but it sort of just turns out that it's not. Yeah, true. It yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it turns yeah. out he was just genuinely worried. But instead of a cigar, he now has a carrot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just. And it's just, and instead of a suit, he now wears a tracksuit. Yeah. It's just it's beautiful and it's silly and it's funny, but it's really meaningful and impactful. Yeah, exactly. And that just, I don't know, it's just so it's wonderful. So the fifth one, my next one, is a little bit about, I mean, it's about one specific character. I tried not, I tried not to talk about too many specific characters because they're all too good. But I've chosen this one and it is Bob. Mm. And I'm going to try and do this without doing any spoilers, <laughs> but it's going to be really You're weird. You're going to have a hard time. I know. I mean, um, Bob isn't really even a. Ca- I mean, he's a character, but yeah. he's not. A, he's not. Yeah, so no. I'm not going to try and explain who or what Bob is, other than Bob is this presence character entity. Who knows? But we'll, for now, we'll call him a character mm-hmm. in Twin Peaks, who is fucking terrifying. The story of how he came about is amazing, which is kind of why I want to talk about him at first. In the pilot, Laura Palmer's mum, Sarah, screams. The last scene is her fucking screaming loud. And you don't know what she's screaming at. I mean, you do see in the very next scene, there's a man bent down at the bottom of the bed. And actually, you see it in the mirror where she's screaming. He's, he's in the mirror. And and it's of this kind of man in a denim in a denim. Uh, he's wearing jacket. double denim. He's double, double, denim, double denim. Long, kind of greasy grey hair. And he's got these eyes that are just peering at her. And he's not come up at any point before. And to be honest, he doesn't come up again until season two. So you are kind of like... Who the fuck was that man? You almost forget about him until he appears. The reason that he's in it, Bob was never going to be a character. And this is, again, testament to David Lynch's on the fly changing his mind thing. 
he, this man uh, Frank Silver was a set a dresser so he just he, he, he did all the like dressing for the sets That's he was a set dresser he was a set dresser <laughs> <laughs> and I guess he was bent down doing something at the bottom of the bed and he looked up and David Lynch was like oh my god you look creepy as hell <laughs> like that is really effective I'm gonna make a character for you and Bob ends up being pretty important in in uh, you know it's not a spoiler he's pretty important in all three seasons yeah, yeah. But it's just so interesting that this poor man who was just dressing on the floor looks up and they're like, yeah, cool. We're going to make a really fucking disturbing character based around you just because you look really weird. But he doesn't look weird, does he? That's the thing. It's well, this really in- well, That's the thing. He's a handsome man yeah. who probably at the time, I mean, I don't think many men of, let's say, his age would have like long flowing uh, no. grey hair in today's day but yeah i think in probably the late 80s early 90s yeah. he, was, he would have been he'd have been a hot hot he, man yeah. and but he does have something about his face which is yeah impossible to explain there's yeah. no reason for it whatsoever they do use his face in a way that makes him scary they make yeah. him pull certain faces yeah but even then it's really clever because the if anybody else was pulling those faces they would look really like shoddy yeah it would look like something from a trashy yeah. horror movie that we no longer review um, but, yeah. <laughs> but he, for some reason, when he pulls these faces, it's just like really effective at being yeah. scared, at being genuinely creepy. Well, so I remember the first time we watched this and I remember watching it like, I'm going to try and see all of the bits. I can see that there's stuff to work out. So I'm going to really try and pay attention. Yeah, we watched to him in a very different manner. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and you're overwhelmed by the amount of people you meet. So you do forget people. And mm. he is a very clever character because they show a clip of him at the bottom of a bed looking fucking terrifying and all he's doing is just looking at her and he's giving direct eye contact to the camera and then you don't really see him you see him briefly in another episode but you don't see him again till season two and by then when season two is starting you start to, you, you're trying to recap what have i thought me maybe not everyone but i'm trying to recap like what have i what have i seen so far and do i need to be thinking of anything and then i'm like there was that man. There was that man at the bottom of the bed that they've never explained. The next scene you see him in, and this is not too much of a spoiler, but they do this fucking horrible scene where it is just a still camera of Laura Palmer's lounge and he creeps in from the side and all he does is walks in from the side of the room. They don't change the camera at all. He walks to the middle of the camera, he crawls over the sofa and he comes toward the camera with no speed up, Mm. just one speed, walks into shot, walks down the middle, direct eye contact the camera and I could not sleep for fucking ages. (laughs) Like it freaked me the fuck out out and all it is it's just it's just a really well told well little like easter eggs like little snippets of face that's made him terrifying because you don't know who he is at this point and all you've seen is his face of which at that one point was kind of weird and then from then on they just make such a scene of it's a really interesting use of his of david lynch's on the fly directing and story writing and also how wonderful that this man who was just going to be a part of the crew <laughs> ends up being such an iconic character in twin peaks amongst all of the iconic characters and he really stands out and sadly he died i think relatively shortly after the the season wrapped. just after the film 
they do sort of bring him back. I mean, he is a very big part in a lot of ways of the third season, but yeah. because of because of the nature of his character, he's able to be a big part of the third season without actually having to be in it. Yeah. That's not a very good description. Well, but. no, but I think they, they use his iconic face yeah. throughout and, he, and they have enough of his um, stock footage to be able to bring him into it enough so that it's still a part of the story that makes sense and so continuing our top 10 of twin peaks Mm -hmm. that was kind of dj wasn't it Mm. Uh, i'm gonna do the sixth one which is the family dynamics of the horn family i like this when you (laughs) mentioned this i was like that is an interesting ridiculous part of twin peaks to look at but i love it obviously we've re-watched this entire thing very recently and i've seen this quite a lot of times but i've never really picked up on this very specific aspect of it but again i just thought it was incredibly effective we've mentioned benjamin horn already benjamin horn is like a business psychopath mm. who runs the hotel and runs a brothel and runs the town really yeah and then he's got a brother who sort of co-runs this stuff who's not quite as he's not quite as in charge no um their, so. their relationship is quite interesting uh the brother in the third season plays a completely different part but in the first two seasons they're both kind of just absolute psychopaths and, yeah. and again in a in a bit of a i wouldn't say comedic way but well, they're a, like laddie boys as well aren't they yeah but what i mean is it's all turned up to 11 yeah so they're so they love like physical pleasure mm. and they do this in this really unsubtle way where one of them will come in with a big sandwich and then they'll have to try this sandwich and then yeah. while they're eating it they're just having this amazing time whilst they're eating the sandwich they love just like pleasure like base yeah. pleasure and obviously that that also revolves into uh, like sexual pleasure mm. and benjamin horn has a daughter and a son the daughter being Audrey Horn, who mm-hmm. we mentioned before, and the son being somebody called Johnny, oh. who we never really learn very much about, but Johnny has emotional problems, <laughs> in, in inverted commas, which we don't really need to talk about too much. But Audrey Horn, who is this incredible character, yeah. while she is amazing in a lot of ways, she shows all the signs very clearly and quite cleverly of having a borderline personality disorder. Yeah. And again, it's not really subtle, but it's not necessarily something you would pick up on if you didn't really know what those signs were. Yeah. I, when just watching these two, I thought, this is interesting. So they've taken this psychopathic man who obviously has this really horrible relationship with his daughter. Yeah. And they've made, he's a psychopath, so they've made his daughter have a personality disorder. Yeah. Well, of course, that's how families work. Yeah. There's a really interesting scene, which we don't necessarily have to talk about too much, where he almost fucks her. Which, yeah, that which, was really messed and, up. And I think when I thought of this whole... When I saw that scene, that's when I thought, sort of thought to myself, ah, this is a really interesting dynamic where, again, they're, they're showing how families... They're showing in a really cartoony, yeah. comic booky almost sort of way. But they're showing this really interesting dynamic about fathers and, and, their, and their offspring. But then... In the third season, which happens 25 years later, yeah. Audrey Horn's son, who we've never met before and we yeah. don't know anything about from the first and, season. Yeah, and actually only is very briefly mentioned as her son. Like, it's quite a while before you realise that this person is her son. Yeah. He is the epitome of evil, basically. So evil. He is the worst human being you could possibly imagine. And almost, yeah. you know, I would say even in comparison to a lot of other films that I've seen, yeah. I can't think of many characters that are more like absolutely 100% of the time that he's on the screen he is doing horrible things and he he again this isn't really spoilers but keeping in mind he's not in it that much yeah. he manages to run over a child and yeah. just and just drive off yeah uh he manages to 
have this horrible scene where he beats up his disabled uncle and his grandmother yeah. and calls his grandmother a cunt. Yeah. And then gets sort of involved later on with all of the ba- sort of bad yeah. the baddies in the third season. And I just thought it was really interesting that they stuck with this theme where it was like, this is exactly... This is, a, this is again, what it's like, it's, like a, it's like a cartoon version of it, but it is like, here's a psychopath who is a boomer who's made a personality disorder, disordered uh, Generation Xer, who's yeah. made this completely uncontrollable millennial. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, wow. Fuck. You know, that's kind of, you've managed somehow, across 25 years or whatever it is, you've managed to like sum up this like gen- element of humanity. It's yeah. incredible. It's really interesting hearing it put out like that because, yeah, you see all these characters for what they are, but I've never really joined those gaps together. Well, number seven for me, and I'm going to try and sum this up as quickly as I can because it could be all day, is the weirdness of Twin Peaks and our expected acceptance of it. Most people remember Twin Peaks uh, for the emotional side and the and the deep storylines, but a lot of people remember it for it being, inverted commas, weird yeah which and i think uh the term lynchian yeah which is something that i think we use a lot i use a lot and i yeah. think i hear people use it a lot it does it does mean something very specific but in a lot yeah. of ways it's bastardized and it just means odd yeah <laughs> you know and th- there are so many things to mention here that it's just you can't even you couldn't even do it you couldn't explain everything from the first season where you again you've got the flickering lights they walk into the sheriff's office and there's a head of a deer that should be on the wall that's on the table and it's massive and it takes up the whole table and the person who lets them in goes oh yeah it fell off well yeah they and that's just start it and they don't explain it around it, it and, yeah. no- <laughs> and then they just carry on yeah Dale Cooper's character has this weird like spiritual way of working stuff out and he calls it the Tibetan method and at one point he's like I'm going to name every suspect beginning with the letter J and I'm going to hit that glass over there with a rock and if I hit it then that's someone we need to speak to and you can see the rest of the sheriff's department just going what the fuck but then they accept it and I think that's a setup for what we're expected to do for the entire season I think that's continuous throughout it's that everyone just accepts this world yeah Yeah, and it's just so normal Twin Peaks is this ethereal town where one of the deputies is called Hawk and he's a Native American and he speaks of kind of the spirituality of the woods and they say the owls are not what they seem and there's weird stuff that goes on and you get this kind of feeling that everyone does accept this and we're then expected to Fast forward very quickly to, I think, episode three, Coop has a dream where you see the Black Lodge for the first time, which is this weird other world where there's red drapes, this chevroned floor, which is so iconic. Mm. There's I a think little... if, if, even if you've never seen Twin Peaks, you must you know must. that there's a... I know, I, I think that everyone will know... I hope so. The, the, there's a midget in a strange room with red yeah. drapes. <laughs> and the midget uh, talks backwards. He yeah. could already do that. Or where they talk backwards... And then record it and play it forward and then mime along to it. So they are speaking words correctly, but they sound wrong. Mm. And you just get very used to that. And that's Mm. fine. Um, There's a giant who's also called the fireman. Fuck knows why. But that comes into it later. Two things I really enjoy about this whole weirdness that you become to accept is the little midget guy who dances in the Black Lodge is not alive for season three. 
So, without any explanation, they replace him with a tree. Yeah. A speaking tree. Or a tree with a weird brain on top. A, a tree that has a weird, like, chewing gum looking brain. Sort of face. That yeah. speaks. <laughs> and he says, you know, I am the. And it's the same character. And you're like, oh, okay. No, and no one bats an eyelid. Same for. So, David Bowie plays a character called Philip Jeffries in the film. And the film is kind of. It was made after season two. And it people didn't like it at the time, but it really sets up season three. So, worth a watch. And. David Bowie was meant to be in season three, but he passed away just before filming. So they replace him with a kettle. <laughs> it's a weird kettle as well. <laughs> Which, the second someone sees it, you're like, who's that? Uh, or what is that even? And the first person to approach it goes, Philip. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and no one in the scene thinks it's weird. And you just have to go, oh, look, that's David Bowie, but he's a kettle now. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, accepted. There's so many things you could speak about with the weirdness of Twin Peaks, but I love just the expectation that you're meant to just take it for what it is. Sometimes it means something, sometimes it doesn't. A version of that that I really, really enjoy, uh, which is, I was going to say subtle, but it's not subtle, but it's just a small thing, is that throughout, and this happens more in the second series than anything else, particularly whenever they go to the hotel, which is where a lot of it is set, in the background there's just weirder and weirder things going on. Yeah. So two characters will just be talking, but in the background there'll be a load of ballroom dancers or there'll be a barbershop quartet or there'll be people hula hooping. So there's different directors and each director directs four episodes. And whoever it was that, f- uh, I think it's the sixth episode in season one, they have a convention in the background. I can't remember who the director is of this one. And she always has a convention in the background. Mm. So she did it. And then other people were like, that's fucking brilliant. We're also going to do that. So it is actually a weird little tidbit that someone's directorial style was like, the opening scene will always be the Great Northern and there'll always be a convention in the background. But it means nothing. No, it doesn't. But But it just adds to the... I I think the word is mise-en-scene. Uh, you know, it, there's stuff happening, but there's also loads of weird shit in the yeah. background. <laughs> I don't know. That almost sums up the whole program. I love it. <laughs> okay, so on to number eight. And I'm just going to pick a whole episode. Mm. And it's the first episode of season three. So as we said before, there's two very famous series of Twin Peaks and then there's 25 years gap. And then in 2017, Twin Peaks was coming back. Yep. There was obviously a lot of hype, particularly between nerds like us that were really looking forward to it coming out and so you kind of figure that the first episode of season three is going to be you know catching up with all your favorite characters Mm -hmm. from before there wasn't a great deal of information about it online and stuff like that which i think was a good thing and i personally tried to ignore as much of that as i possibly could as well but i was aware that most of the characters that were still alive were going to be in it and things like that so you figure okay yeah we're going back to twin peaks this is Mm -hmm. brilliant well, the first episode of season three goes back to Twin Peaks for a little while. You see a couple of people and then it just fucks off to New York. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, suddenly there's these characters that well, you've absolutely no idea who they are. Well, and I think it is quite cheeky because I think the very first scene is the almost last scene of season two. Yeah, is, so yeah. you do, you're like, yes, I'm going to get everything I wanted. It's going to go straight back. And then, yeah, you're right. Then it says New York and you're like what <laughs> but, it, but it does set up a lot about season three which i have to admit this is one thing that when we first watched it i wasn't that keen on yeah probably just because i was taken aback because it's like hang on this isn't twin peaks yeah but watching it again now i love this aspect of it yeah and um, and it sets up season three because more or less what it does is yes all of the old characters are back here and there and they they play roles in it some more than others yeah a lot of them have very small roles and a lot of them aren't really in the story it's yeah. just 
here's one of the characters that you know doing something really weird and we're just going to show it three or four times throughout yeah. the entire series and that we're not that nothing happens with yeah. this person but the great thing i think now uh, having watched it again about season three is that most of it isn't set in twin peaks most of it doesn't really have anything to do with the town of twin peaks and the whole sort of essence of Laura Palmer's death and all of the stuff that goes along with it Mm. and all of the other stuff that happened across the first two seasons they play a part there's a basis of it but the third season is just about loads of other stuff that's going on in other places around the world and and I really love that but the thing I probably like the most about season three the first episode of season three is that the vast majority of it is one boy sitting in a flat in New York looking at a box yep and that's kind of it. Yep. And, and there's other stuff that goes on. But I like it for a number of reasons. One, like I say, when I first saw it, I was a bit taken aback and I wasn't really sure. And yeah. I think a lot of people who watched that third season will remember this as a kind of, what the fuck was that about? Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it wasn't really about anything, although it does come back later on in the series. There's kind of mention of it and you realise that it is vaguely based around something. Mm. But the thing that I think I like most about it is that 25 years later... So the difference between 1990 or 1992 and 2017, one of the first seasons that David Lynch puts in is a young person watching a well-lit glass box, which is is owned by an anonymous billionaire, whilst it and him are both being filmed continuously and recorded and kept. And when asked why, he says he's waiting for something to happen. (laughs) real human beings other than him are not allowed into this room so he has to sit there on his own Mm -hmm. it's guarded by a private security firm and as soon as he does sneak somebody else in there and they actually start having a genuine human connection uh, i.e. they start having sex suddenly something happens and they both immediately die (laughs) <laughs> and it is, and when I say something happens, that is how it's described. <laughs> they do say what happened. Something happened. Yeah. That's all they know. Yeah. And I just think that that is a perfect metaphor for the modern world. <laughs> I'm sorry to keep going on about this, but I do. Th- I mean, I definitely think that that is what David Lynch was saying. Yeah. No, that's a I really mean, good sum up. It is really interesting that the 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 whole of that first episode is just somebody sitting looking at an empty box. I just think that's fucking brilliant. Waiting. Yeah. Waiting. Waiting for something to happen. Something to happen. (laughs) Well, speaking of waiting for something to happen, my number nine is the storyline of Dale Cooper in season three. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I'm going to try and do this without giving too many spoilers, but at the end of season two, something happens to Dale Cooper and you are gagging to know how that turns out, especially 25 years later. You just want to know. And... David Lynch is a bit of an arsehole because I think he knows that most people are tuning in to find out what happened to the most beloved character of TV of all time. And you know what? You don't really get to know for a long time. Yeah, you. Can't, I will <laughs> say like the third season unravels almost in exactly that way though i mean the uh, it does tell you exactly what happens it, to him no it does, it does it's just not what it, you want it, and, well also it does it in this way where to begin with you think hang on a minute what <laughs> yeah so you're introduced to this character called dougie dougie jones who you look at him and you're like well that's dale cooper because it is Carl mclaughlin sat there he just looks frumpy and got a different haircut and um something happens to him where the real dougie jones slash was dougie jones ever real kind of disappears from this body 
and Dale Cooper replaces him within this body. Except something happens to him where he becomes kind of... Oh, I don't want to say vacant, but he it, all oh, of a no, sudden he's, he's, isn't exactly isn't a real is. human being. Yeah. Um, Douglas Jones. I don't know. We don't know what his personality was before uh, Dale Cooper inhabited it. We know what Dale Cooper's personality is, and all of a sudden you get neither. You get vacant, almost incapable of standing up and dressing himself. I mean, completely person, incapable of dressing yeah, himself. Yeah. Within within Douglas Jones' body, he doesn't. He d- literally doesn't know what to do when he needs to piss. Yeah, that's so it. He's, he's, sta- <laughs> he's, he's just standing there holding his his uh, his nether regions. He can't speak. Yeah, and he can only repeat words that are said to him, and you're just like. No! I wanted Dale Cooper so bad! And now you've got the antithesis. You've got someone who is basically a dribbling, wandering mess. But who you fall in love with. Who you fall in love and with. who but- actually might be a better character than maybe not better but might be as good a character as Dale Cooper oh, it, once I mean, all said and done it's beautiful and yeah. I, I absolutely adored I adored Dougie the first time but I really on re-watching it I was like this is amazing but what I absolutely love and again expecting to accept weirdness is that no one bats an eyelid mm. they keep referring to how Dougie had a car crash once and so sometimes he's a bit weird yeah. and that's his personality pre being inhabited by Dale Cooper but, um, but he's definitely not that weird prior to this because no. he's got a job job yeah, he's, right, quite, he's you know, sleeping he's, with prostitutes yeah, he's, you know he's, he's, he's in he's, he's in, in some debt for uh, risky business las vegas uh debts exactly something. he's got some kind of people after him but um everyone just accepts it like no one quizzes it too much and he just does these tiny little things guided by weird ethereal things that happen to him that make him look really intelligent even though he's just a blubbering, can't do anything for himself, and he's walking to the toilet mess. Mm. And what I absolutely love about it, and this is a tiny spoiler, is when it is resolved, which is episode 16, so you have 16 episodes of watching Dale Cooper walking around holding himself because he can't go to the toilet, do, like just being... He still likes coffee, though. So absent-minded. And, uh, and but he gets these little like <laughs> <gasps> moments, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. Um, which is so beautiful. And you think, yes, he's coming back. And then he doesn't. When something happens and, and, and Dale Cooper does appear in his full get-up-and-go, thumbs-up manner, you get him for about half an episode mm. and then something else happens to him, maybe, <laughs> yeah. and it's never explained and yeah. you don't understand why, where he doesn't quite seem his normal self again. Mm. And you're like, oh my God, all I wanted was Karl McLaughlin fully in Dale Cooper being like this wonderful, because he's so wonderful a character in season one and two. And he's so well loved by everyone that everyone's so looking forward to seeing him uh, as a we. And yeah, then you get him for about 30 minutes. It's wonderful. It's so clever. I'm watching it again, no regrets, but the first time I watched it, I was like, for fuck's sake! And I just thought, David Lynch is messing with us. In fact, I think the whole of season three is David Lynch messing with the expectations that people had. Yeah. Um, but it's so perfect. And I'm watching but, it again, I mean, I'm I think, so happy. I think that's really clever, though, as well, because people did have such expectations that if he had tried to recreate yeah. the first couple of seasons, then A... Even if you'd done it really well, it wouldn't have worked because everyone's really old. And yeah. so all of those kind of, all of the feelings that you had towards those characters yeah. would have been like, oh, it's kind of sad that they've brought, they've, you know, yeah. pulled this one back in. So I think he did exactly the right thing. I think oh, he just made something else. It's just perfect. I love the whole Dougie thing. I think there's two aspects of that character which are, which are wonderful in sort of metaphorical ways. One is that, so he's someone who's literally incapable of doing anything for himself, but yeah. everybody he meets, and it doesn't matter who they are, they, he meets <laughs> gangsters and he meets everybody, everybody from every sort of walk of life, yeah. and they're all really kind to him. Yeah. 
And I think that's a really nice message. Yeah. But I also really like, and this is almost like the opposite. That's not really the opposite message, but something else, is that Dougie is someone who literally just says back to you things that you say to him Mm -hmm. and doesn't offer you anything else, anything more. He has no personality, so he's got nothing to give anybody. And so as a result of that, everybody reacts to him in this really nice like way. Like they're really excited because they can just talk at him. There's loads of bits where... He doesn't say a word, no. and the the other person is just talking at him yeah. about whatever it is that they happen to want to talk about. And because he's repeating the last word that they say, they feel really satiated by that because he's not giving them an opinion. Yeah. And it's almost, and I do think that says something about the human condition as well. Yeah. That thing of just, frankly, about echo chambers and about yeah. algorithms and about the world that we live in today. I also think <laughs> it's about modern psychology. So if mm. you, um, I remember speaking to a psychologist once and watching them. Or even feeling, you can feel when you're being spoken to by a psychologist because the clever thing they do is they offer you nothing. So it's very, psychology is hilarious because it's just rewording stuff and throwing it back at you. And that's why you can have uh, robots online being psychologists and they do just as fine a job. Because all they do... (laughs) Sorry, psychologists. No offence, but I mean, it's... it's, No, no, it's true. it's, It's this really clever way of no one can tell you you have to work stuff out for yourself. I don't know, like there's a bit where um, the main guy that Dougie works for has a dilemma and he's trying to work something out. And Dougie does do something that kind of hints that he's helped, but it's not through him. It's kind of like something going through him that makes this problem resolved. But it is almost as if the main guy just works out for himself, but just needed to throw it out there. Just needed to talk at Just need to talk it back. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I quite I quite like that, but yeah, no, it does also have that echo chamber, horrible end of it as well, where you just get surrounded by what you. Well, uh, as know. with as with everything in good art, yeah. it's not either of those things absolutely. Yeah. It's both of those things. But at first, it feels like absolutely nothing, and you're like, "What the fuck is going on?" Mm. And then, yeah, just when you sit and think about it or watch it again, you're like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! Mm. This is absolutely amazing!" So on to the very last of our top ten oh. parts of Twin oh. Peaks. Um, and we could go on forever. We, we could can't. go on forever. This is a very quick one. It's a very small one. There is a lot of really good just one-off lines mm. in Twin Peaks. And there's a lot of things that have become iconic, I yeah. think. And like you say, the owls are not what they seem. It's yeah. like, it, it means a lot of different things within the context of the program. But it's just a nice sentence that I think a lot of people have probably put on T-shirts. Yeah, and stuff. it's happening again. Yeah, oh there's, my God. there's lots of things like that. But my <laughs> absolute favourite line of the entire series from yeah. start to finish very minor I don't think we even need to talk about it I just think it's beautiful there's a character called James who is like a teenage biker and in the first couple of seasons he's not really sure where he is in life I don't yeah. think he plays quite a big role in it but he's he's sort of jumping from he, place he, to he place he sings a beautiful song he does sing a beautiful <laughs> song twice in the third season he does it again um but there is one point where he's he's elsewhere, let's say. There's no need to go into the storyline too much. But he's about to leave this place. And the person who he's with says, where are you going? And he says, it's not a place, it's a feeling. Aww. And I just think it's it says so much. Again, I don't think that we need to talk about it. I think we can it's just beautiful. leave the listener with that beautiful thing. It's, it's not a place, thing. it's a feeling. I think that is exactly what we're all looking for in life. Aww. i tell you what makes me feel good songs from the 90s 
We did not know that about you, Dave. (laughs) Oh, my God. So this is a song by a band called Reversal of Man. Reversal of Man were from Florida. Uh, They were on Ebullition Records. I've definitely played some stuff that have been on Ebullition Records. It was an amazing record label that went from the 90s into the sort of early 2000s. They also ran Heart Attack fanzine, which a really big fanzine for a little while. Reversal of Man were an amazing band. Most of their songs sound quite similar, so I picked the one with the best title. This is from a 1998 album, which is called Revolution Summer. Aww. Uh, so if you haven't listened to our Revolution Summer episode yet, oh, go back and listen yeah. to that, even though uh, it has could've nothing picked, to do with this. Could have picked the song called Magic. No, no, this song also, yeah, no, <laughs> good luck with that. That. No, that one's dead on its feet. <laughs> uh, so this is Reversal of Man with the song Get the Kid with the Sideburns. <laughs> end of this episode of breakfast punks thank none you so that, much none of those pesky movie reviews no pesky shit you, movie so you don't reviews. have to stop early maybe <laughs> we could always do like a film recommendation oh. so maybe like oh not that we've not that i have one ready <laughs> yeah don't and, spring that yeah one. no i know but like maybe we could do like a i don't know mention a, a shit film to watch but um i don't think we should review them anymore as we are not uh, well i that. would suggest let's suggest again that you go and watch all of david lynch's films yeah that's if true if you've never watched a david lynch film i think you should watch blue velvet as your first one yeah blue it, uh, or to or twin peaks but twin peaks is obviously you've got to take on the whole series blue yeah. velvet is both it's not necessarily his best film but it's probably considered if not his best then one of his best but it's fucking batshit crazy but, but it's it definitely still, it, it's it? really emotional and it's and it has a really clear narrative in a way that some of the other ones don't. Some yeah. of the other films... <laughs> don't watch a Razorhead first. <laughs> no, definitely don't watch a... Well, I don't know. I mean, it depends what, what sort of stuff you like. I mean, one of his films, Lost Highway, s- starts with about 45 minutes of one story, and then someone goes to sleep in a prison and wakes up the next day, and they're just someone else. And then it goes off for the next 45 <laughs> minutes on a story about someone else. And you never find out what happened to the first guy, really. I mean, it's not... I've simplified it too much. It's there so is then a, There is an ending of sorts, but... But I think Blue Velvet is a really good one to start with. Yeah. So that's my recommendation. Fair enough. Go watch Blue Velvet and then go watch all the other David Lynch films, including Dune. I, I've never been able to sit through the whole of Dune. <laughs> no, honest. I've tried. And I, I, do, I will do it again one day, but I have heard it's monumentally bad. But David Lynch is a wonderful human. Well, thank you so much for listening. And uh, thank you to everyone who listened to the last episode as well, where mm-hmm. we were talking about the... St- I mean, this is classic podcasting this we do the state of the uk diy punk scene on one episode and then we follow it up with twin peaks i mean it's just classic never know what you're gonna get (laughs) we had quite a lot of responses from it yeah Um, thank you and i think people enjoyed it and appreciated it and i'm really glad i don't know we were sort of thinking about how we might revisit it a little bit at the end of this episode Mm. Uh, there's not really very much to revisit but i would say that you should go and listen to it. One of the things that I think piqued a lot of people's interest that I don't know if it's that they haven't thought of it or if it's just no one had actually said it before 
was the point that we made about how the punk scene seems to be getting older. Yeah. And I had a few people, a few people sent me, I won't say who, there's no need to say who, a few people sent me actually like who follows them on Instagram, like some record labels and some, oh, okay. some places and stuff like that. And uh, it is quite interesting because they they were saying it's exactly that. It's like everybody that follows a lot of the record labels that you would consider, or not a lot, the few that sent me their, their details. Yeah. That they do seem to be followed by people in their 30s and 40s a lot more and hardly any teenagers whatsoever. No, I don't know why that um, I don't know where they are or what they're doing, but it's not it's not where we're at. No, but I would say Are we two, are we the old people? Well, we talked about this last oh. episode. So I mean if you if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. But yeah. um one of the things I did want to say that I don't think we made very clear on the last episode is that it's not necessarily all of a bad thing. And the reason that I say that is because I think it's fucking amazing that I I'm in my 40s. No. No way. Uh, I know I don't sound it on these wonderful microphones. um, (laughs) Oh, look it now. You've got rid of your facial hair. But, you know, I look back on when I was a teenager, most of the people that I got into punk with had Mm. grown out of it, in inverted commas, by the time they were in their, like, 21, 22. A lot of people went to university and kind of lost lost interest. Not A lot of people didn't, too, obviously. But it is great that we are all enjoying our lives. Yeah, it's it's great, and I get. I mean, we talked a little bit. We touched on like rebellion festival type stuff. How we sort of bitch and moan about all these old people that have different attitudes to us. But in a lot of ways, I think we can all agree it's fucking amazing that people in their fifties and sixties, yeah, are, even if it. they're just getting their mohawk done for one weekend a year or a couple of weekends a year, and they're just going to festivals or whatever, I think that's fucking great. Yeah. I mean, it's so much better. You know, I you know, I think about my parents when I was born you know my parents were in their thirties. my yeah. dad was old so he was in his 30s and early 40s and my mum was in her late 20s early 30s and they weren't living a life where they no. were going and doing human pyramids and fucking rolling around <laughs> and getting pissed up with their mates and stuff well, and I mean nor am I now I suppose <laughs> <laughs> but no but it's interesting that you said that um you know most people grew out of it went to uni and forgot about it because I was one of those people yeah, I like I so, very yeah. much did yeah, yeah. I I I Went to gigs when I was living in Norwich as a teenager. Got to the age where I could drink. Went to some gigs, but also then found like raving a bit, and then went to uni and really didn't go to that many Became gigs at all. Got very normal, yeah. and then um, actually, so did I in my twenties. Yeah, I got a career, but I, I think but, I never lost touch with the punk scene, well, even though I, and I led def- a more sensible life. I yeah, think. no, I definitely did, and I remember the first gigs I went back to was I went to see Leftover Crack, and then I went to see Sick of It All. Mm. Um, in like I don't know 2012 2013 and that really was the underground first... the real underground no I know exactly it wasn't even <laughs> yeah and and I'd been to some like music in the meantime but none of it like anywhere near punk related um really and I just remember being like okay this you know this is fun I quite like this I should do that then I met you and then I remember you took me to loads of like the smaller gigs where it was things that were still really happening and I was like, oh, my God, this is still happening. Mm, mm. And the few we went to were um, a lot younger people. We went to some put on by Goldsmith students at, um, what was that house that we Asbury went to? Castle. Asbury Castle. And they were oh, all very R. young. R. and Asbury Castle. And, uh, it, was, it was an amazing place. Um, I mean, I think it's still there, but they're not even getting Yeah. And, and, you know, and it was run by very young, interesting, creative people. You say but, very young, but, but I mean, I older don't, people were there. I don't know. I mean, they were young to, to me. I think they're probably about your age. Uh, so yeah, this maybe, is none yeah, of our maybe, business. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not making sweeping but, statements. None of our but business. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, uh, there were some like older people there, mm. and some people that were like my age or a bit younger. But then going to more and more gigs and being like, oh my god, you know what? 
I'm the youngest person here. Mm. Like, everyone here is still at it, still doing it, still starting bands, still playing in bands, still crowd surfing, still doing human pyramids, still jumping about, we, we dressing about the way they're first, dressing. My first uh, uh, crowd surf back at a Skid Row Skid gig. Skid Row, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, on the Patreon, the most recent oh, yeah, Patreon of episode. So if you'd like to hear that story. Go go pay up. I don't think we fully <laughs> tell it, but no, I think we, we don't mention really. it. <laughs> it's, it's a brief mention. I think Joe takes the, takes the biscuit on that. But yeah, just I was just really re-energised to find you know what like I thought oh god I, I fell out of it and I can't get back into this and I, my impression was that people were punk the entire time and it was a lifestyle and you didn't ever like veer off from it and you didn't um refine yourself in any way but there were these people that had maybe refound themselves but they were still going yeah. and were encouraging to everyone and I felt that I could slip into it rejoin Refined, find lo- everything new stuff that I never knew about the first time living in teeny tiny Norfolk and only going to shitty scar punk gigs at the ferry boat, and just it's just wonderful. It's just so makes you refind everything in life. Thus, you know, I, I'm in a band with three of my friends now that we've never done anything before for this very reason because you can. Mm. And then there was this conception that you that I had when I was younger that oh I've left that scene now and I can never be that scene. Yeah. But the DIY punk scene that we have is older, but is still really encouraging for people to continue being in it and to continue doing it. It is just that younger bit that isn't there all the time. And yeah. I don't know, But I mean, there's, I, there's pros and cons. Well, the and, other, and, the, and like you say, the pros is that the people that are still in it are really encouraging. But I think also there's another side to this, which is un- unfortunate, but I think true, which is that we really are, as a group of people, if, 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 I'm, if we're right, and yeah. the punk scene at large is older people largely in their 30s and 40s. We are the last people that can do anything about this. Yeah. Like, there is nothing that I am going to be able to do. Let's just say for my band. I mean, not that I would ever think in these terms. But, like, there's nothing that I'm going to be able to do to make teenagers like our band. Yeah. Because if, if we try, we're going to be so embarrassing. Yeah. You know? It's one thing to be like, oh, how can we get kids involved? Well, if we really try and get loads of kids involved in the punk scene, they are going to be like, who are these old pedophiles? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they're going to think, who the fuck are these old people trying to be cool or trying yeah. to... So in a lot of ways, we've we've kind of just got to accept it, I think. that's what, And that's one of the reasons why I think it's important to say that it is a, it is great. I mean, it's really, it's really cool. It is a shame... Uh, I think that teenagers but, aren't coming, but they might come back, or they, they, it might be that we discover that there's a little scene that's starting that we're just not aware of yet. Yeah, I mean, there's some. The thing is, in saying that, I can think of at least a couple of bands I'm aware of that where the members are really young mm. and their friends and their social groups do go to those gigs. So there's there is a kind of it might be happening. In just but just in spits and spurts and in various places and in various subgenres of the scene, maybe. Yeah, maybe. For example, and I, I hope these bands don't mind me mentioning them, but Electric Press are extraordinarily young. Yes. Yeah, and I was, don't really know what their background is or, or where their kind of gig following is up north. I think they have a well. They're from Leeds, and I think that there is a little scene in Leeds of young bands. Yeah. Who who all know each other and play? Because that hell band are young as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, and not I'm, to be patronising. Sure, no, I'm just no. saying it does exist somewhere. I'm sure around the country there are. Yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit about what punk is now, and yeah. I'm, you know, I think um, Electric Press certainly are a, a punk band. They're a very interesting, very good band. But I mean, I do think that there's probably a lot of uh, younger bands that maybe we would listen to and think aren't punk, but they would 
consider themselves punk and they might operate in a DIY way. And another thing about yeah. this is that the what what you would have once considered mainstream music yeah. is all DIY now. Yeah, because record true. labels only you know what record labels exist, but you know People it's not like anyone's themselves. trying to get signed by a major record label or anything. So even a lot of the bands that may aren't sounding like they're punk. They are DIY bands, yeah. and they might not be doing DIY in the way that I personally would consider things DIY, and they might be aiming for things that I don't understand. Yeah. They might be fine taking money from corporations for certain things, or they might be fine playing certain types of gigs that I maybe wouldn't. Yeah. But actually, the way that they're running themselves is probably DIY. quite DIY. And yeah. ironically, some of the bigger bands who claim to... I'm not going to name names, but who around at the moment who claim to be DIY and go on about how DIY they are all the time uh, are uh, 100% not. No, exactly. <laughs> so, Signed agents, the you know, lot. So, that, so I think that's, uh, that's something else. One other yeah. thing that we didn't talk about last time that, to be honest, just slipped my mind to bring up, but I have had this conversation uh, with somebody since we did that episode is more about people coming back to gigs after COVID. Yeah. And I think we sort of brought this up in a very vague way and they're uh, in more of a way of like people might still be worried about whether they're going to get COVID yeah. if they come and so maybe that's not why they're coming back. But I think there is another aspect here and I think I can speak with some sort of personal experience of this is that I think the process of going through lockdown has changed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in major massive ways, but I think that some people aren't, really wanting to be around huge groups of people yeah they're not really want and gigs are obviously the place you know the place where you can guarantee that that's going to happen and I suppose I say this because to some extent although I'm still going to gigs and I'm and I'm very happy to be seeing live music and stuff I definitely feel a little bit of that I definitely am not like as pumped about the idea of being in rooms full of people as I was before covid mm. and I can't really put my finger on why that is or or whatever but I do sort of think that maybe some people are kind of just not really up for it. And and, and I suppose the other thing that I wanted to say in, in that context is if you're not up for it, we're not having a go at you. Like, no, of we course. weren't having a go at you last week. Like I think it's perfectly reasonable to have gone through what we've gone through and to come out of it as a slightly different person. Yeah. And I think that one of the things we've all done, probably to ourselves, but also maybe expected on other people, is that we literally, we were allowed out after lockdown. And it's like, right, I'm right back to doing all the stuff that I was doing before. Yeah. You know, I'm still that same person. But there was the best part of two years there where we all went away and just got left on our own. Yeah. With only a few people. And I think, I'm sure everybody changed. Maybe not everybody, but I'm sure loads of people changed. They probably changed their priorities. Their lifestyles probably changed. Yeah. Maybe even their, their lives changed. You know, lots of, Lots of relationships broke up and or, or, or people, you know, found relationships through the internet probably because they <laughs> weren't allowed out, whatever. You know, I don't but, know, but people's a lot of people that I know, yeah. their lives changed. Though, and but, I, th- and I think you're would. right, depending, like, I, I never really thought of it as all of those ways. But yeah, there's some people that that time away from people has made them long for it. And so maybe they want it more than they did. But yeah, and then there's going to be some people where it's changed and it but isn't I, the same. Well, I think and there's a real... we all assume we're all the same, but... We're not. But also, there's a, it's things. more complex than that. I think, I'm, and I'm speaking for myself here, I longed for it. Yeah. The reality of doing it. And again, please let me be clear. I love going to gigs, and it's not like I don't want to go to gigs or anything like that. But the reality of really wanting, you know, just being like, oh, my God, I've been stuck inside for so long. All I want to do is get out. All I want to do is go mm. out and get pissed with my mates. Mm. I found that when I went out and got pissed with my mates, I was a little bit like, ah. Well, look, you yeah. know, I don't drink now, or you yeah. know, I don't drink very much. So, 
you know, I, I suppose I don't know. I just wanted to bring it up because it was something that I sort of thought of and didn't bring up, and then sort of felt a little bit like I'd. I didn't do it deliberately, but I sort of felt a little bit like I copped out and didn't acknowledge yeah. that other point, I suppose. Yeah, no, I think it's um, fair, fair to bring up. One other thing yes, about uh, <laughs> about giving our money to corporations. Uh-huh. Uh, somebody I spoke to uh, who runs a, a retail business said that it, prior to COVID, I think it was something like 40% of their sales were on card and the other were cash or it was 50-50 or something. Yeah. And now since they opened after COVID, it's gone up 90% and 10% cash. Oh, my God. And I think that, again, you have to go back and we're not going to be able to go through all of this again. You have mm-hmm. to go back to the episode if you don't know what I'm talking about. But I think that that's something that I think that thing of being frightened of handing somebody something, a note when yeah. no one was accepting cash because yeah. of covid has just completely normalized the tapping of cards yeah. everywhere and that's not going to change that's not i stand change. by every single thing that i said in the last episode and i still feel really strongly about it mm-hmm. and i still think if you're going to a punk gig you should go to the fucking cash machine but it's not going to change no the world's changing isn't it even pre the pandemic um in sweden i think it was in stockholm they were aiming to be a cashless yeah. city by whatever year i went there in 2000 and i want to say 18 mm. and i remember going to a bar where it was like a three is it euros i don't know but let's say it's euros a three euro entry i took money out and i, w- I could not spend my money anywhere yeah. nowhere took cash nowhere Amsterdam, even Amsterdam even like three that, pounds really. on a door they were like no you have to tap and yeah. you're like i fucking changed all this money i thought someone was gonna take it <laughs> that's part of going on holidays changing all that money oh my god that's <laughs> Such a big part of going on gone, holiday to me. Gone. <laughs> um, and there's loads of things in that, like the you know the entertainment industry and uh, tipping and the service industry. Yeah, that's all yeah. going to go in the toilet. And yeah, some yeah. people live off tips. I know people who had contracts where they had um, sub sub minimum wage contracts somehow because it said you would get tips and they could prove that the tips would be this much. Yeah. So they didn't have to, so the people didn't have to pay you. I mean it's disgusting. I mean it That's is disgusting. disgusting. I'm gonna name it. This is Gaucho restaurants in yeah. London. So if you ever go there you're a knob. Work, um is. but it's fucking disgusting. Um and yeah, they're they're people that like live off tips and loads of businesses live off tips. And where's mm. that going to go if we're cashless? Who knows? Well, it will go through the card because you can have and a then tip it'll on go the card to your business, and, and everyone business. will take their money and, off of it first. And so what happens is then, and you get taxed literally, on it. Literally, the wage, the wages that you're getting tips for, it just means that the restaurant is charging you more for your food and then yeah. paying people what they were paying them before. Yeah. So they've just got out of paying somebody. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's all, all it is. is. It's disgraceful. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> on that bombshell, yes. never go to that place that, whose name I've Never go forgotten. to Gauchos. It's disgraceful. Do take cash to gigs. Go to gigs if you feel comfortable. If you don't, find other ways to support bands if you do like music. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, always yeah, yeah. appreciated. I mean, it's always um, yeah. And also go and watch all of David Lynch's films and watch Twin Peaks. And, and go back and listen to all of our previous episodes. Yeah, of particularly, course. Particularly the one about magic, which <laughs> no one has listened to because I think, I'm presuming, it's it can only magic. be this. Because we've called it magic and everyone thinks, what are these fucking hippies going on about? But 
we could have called that episode about magic so many things yeah that would have enticed you in it was very similar in a lot of ways although on a much bigger scale to the one about diy punk yeah how (laughs) we need to be more connected with the world and people around us in order to save humanity that's what we should have called it yeah but that was called it magic people off as well anyway do go back and listen to that because i think it was one of the best episodes we've ever done and literally no one listened to it (laughs) oh well Um, but in in the vein of supporting us please continue to support us thank you so much for listening Uh, Uh, you can find Find us on Instagram at Breakfast Punks Podcast. Uh, we don't really do YouTube anymore, but there's loads of cool stuff up at uh, youtube.com forward slash Breakfast Punks Podcast. And yeah, if you would like to support us on Patreon, that would be very much appreciated. Thanks that again. Patreon.com forward slash Breakfast Punks Podcast. Yeah, email oh, you, us yeah. if you uh, need to. Need to? If you feel a need to <laughs> vent at us about something, or if you'd like to give us any feedback or anything or suggestions, or just say hello. Um, ShamCityRoasters at gmail.com is probably the best way to do that. Or uh, Instagram direct message. And we will see you in two weeks' time. Thanks yeah. so much for listening. We'll leave you with one last song. This song is from a band called Making Friends, and the song is called Ignore the Exit. They're from Brighton, and this song is from their split with Shackleford, which we played uh, Shackleford last episode, I mm-hmm. believe. From this split. From this split. Um, and this is out via Cat's Claw on cassette and in it records on CD. So this is Making Friends with Ignore the Exit. We'll see you in two weeks' time. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Complaining again that everything's so complicated This big is everything